0: Welcome back, y'all, to another dope edition of Define Your Legacy. All right, before we get tapped into today's episode, just want to shout out Define Your Legacy online store, all right, which can be found at the link in the description of this episode, all right? We have t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, and even masks, all right? So feel free to check out the link for Define Legacy's online store, all right, in the link of this episode's description. Now, with that being said, all right, let's dive right into today's episode. We have Evolve Benton on the show. How are you doing today? I am good.
1: Thank you for the warm welcome. And I, I can't wait to go on the website and get me some swag, too, because it's looking good.
0: For sure. For sure. <laughs> appreciate it. Appreciate it. Um, and it's always you know, cool to have uh, another podcast host on the show. Um, obviously, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. And, uh, but if you could just introduce yourself and tell the world what it is that you do.
1: Definitely. What's up, world? Thank you so much for listening. My name is Evolve Benton. My pronouns are they or King, if you're feeling a little royal. And I am the CEO and owner of Speaking for Profit University, where we teach diverse leaders how to upgrade their income and their impact through public speaking and educational consultation. I'm also an author of the book, Sir. And I am from Los Angeles, California. So I'm a diehard Laker fan. Go Lakers. Uh, HBCU alum, went to Dillard University in New Orleans, Louisiana, and just excited to be here to talk about defining your legacy.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. I, I, I like it. Um, so a couple of things off-rip. Um, I always think about like the, the original approach in terms of talking about what you currently do first or your overall journey from the beginning. But one thing that I wanted to acknowledge off-rip in that bio um, is you attending um, an HBCU Right, so what made you decide um, to attend an HBCU?
1: That's a great question. Thank you so much for asking that. You know what, Uh, for me being from LA, I grew up watching, you know, a lot of TV and I watched Different World and I got to see, you know, the HBCU value, but what was big for me was I was trying to get out of the inner city. I grew up in South Central LA and I really wanted to get away from home. There was a lot of gang violence going on at the time. So for me, going to New Orleans was like really just like I could kind of like flip the script, go somewhere new where people don't really know me um, and have an opportunity to be around Black excellence. I remember I went to an informational when I was in high school with one of the counselors from Dillard and they were talking about the poetry and the food and it just got me really excited and inspired. And honestly, it was one of the first times I really seen like a Black person in power, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool to see someone who's college educated. My, my parents didn't go to college, my dad did. My mom was a registered nurse, but I didn't really see it around me, right? Like in the academic setting. So I was like, yo, I can get away from home. I could be in New Orleans. And you know, Lil Wayne was popping at the time. Mm-hmm. So I was mm-hmm. like, I got my mm-hmm. got dreads mm-hmm. going. I can mm-hmm. have a good time. So it was just really an inspiration to get away. And I think so many folks do that, right? Like college is that first Step to get out of your neighborhood and to really get out into the world.
0: Yeah, for sure. And obviously, a common term and phrase that people use is representation matters. And right. so what did it mean to you to see so many successful people, um, you know, striving to, to reach another growing life that were, that were all kind of, you know, around your age?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was really cool going to an HBCU. I I think it's cool to have your peers, but what was really cool was having faculty members who mirrored you, like all of our faculty members mostly were Black. The white folks were like the minority, right? Uh, And it kind of felt like that auntie-uncle vibe all the time, so Mm -hmm. you really felt like you couldn't disappoint them. You really wanted to show up. I went to school actually during Hurricane Katrina, so I feel like we bonded a lot more because we had to leave campus right we had the huge flood that happened in Gentilly in New Orleans so we had to all evacuate most of my peers ended up coming back so we had a really tight bond just because we went through that trauma together but seeing all the black excellence and even to this day you know I always tell people I feel like my net worth is really my network. I have so many folks that I went to college with who are doing amazing work, whether they're entrepreneurs, physicians, working for Facebook, wherever it may be. So it really was a space where I was really able to really get connected to the world. I mean, we have folks from the South, folks from the West Coast, East Coast, and even international, um, who are all showing up with their own version of blackness and their own version of wanting to be great. Hmm.
0: Did that uh, surprise you in your early years at college? idea did it was it was a
1: culture shock man going to the south is totally different you know growing up in LA you you don't really speak to a lot of folks you kind of kind of stay in your neighborhood and the south is like they look at you crazy if you don't speak so when I remember one of my first weeks there I was talking to a woman and she was like you didn't speak did you sleep with me last night or something like that and I was like oh sorry ma'am and she was like yo when you come in these buildings and these spaces you need to speak right like you need to be talking to people so I was a little guarded and and I think that being there really allowed me to to get that black love and that black support and, and be embraced in a different way so it was a culture shock the first couple of years but then I was like at home and literally when I came back to LA I had to like figure it out like oh I'm kind of too open let me close back up a little bit so mm-hmm. you know you figure out the environment and and how to assimilate
0: yeah so even you mentioning that you know you came home from LA so what was the step that you took after you know school
1: Yeah, so I I wrapped up school in New Orleans and I ended up coming back to L.A. mainly because my my mom passed away my senior year. So um, I felt like I need to be with my dad. I just need to get home. And I I was like, what am I going to do? It was like the worst time in the economy. It was 2008. So everybody know what happened in 07. There really were no jobs. Uh, and I was a communications major. So my first job was actually working for um, The Price is Right. I was one of those red coats, right, that was behind the stage. So I worked at Price is Right, all in CBS. Uh, and then I ended up moving on to working at The Dr. Phil Show, where I was working in post production and was kind of just doing the Hollywood thing for a while. And what really impacted me um, was seeing a lot of people in my family. Um, navigating depression and sadness because we started having a lot of losses in our family. So I ended up going back to school for psychology Really, because I wanted to be able to help people, and you know, get my clinical psychology degree. So that was like the first step going into graduate school, and that was really cool. Did that in LA, had a great time, had a great experience. Learned about the psyche and the brain and the way things move. Um, and I think my family took it a little bit too serious because everybody started telling me all their stories and all their business. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not y'all's clinician, but I got some tips for y'all to be able right, to help right. y'all a little bit. But I think that's really was the space, to be honest with you, where for me, I really got to understand um, how intersectional blackness is, right? Like it's not just, we don't all come from the same, place, really learned about that in graduate school. Because I think when I was in undergrad, I was just more caught up in partying and having a good time. But this is where I really got to investigate my identity and how it's different from others, but also how it all intersects on the same lane when we talk about being Black in America. Even if you come from other places, right, we're going to have a similar intersection and experience. So that was pretty cool.
0: Yeah. And, and, and talking about, you know, being Black in America, just, you know, the big picture, Um, Having attended, you know, an HBCU as well as, you know, the conversations that you had, um, you know, with your family members, right? Um, Do you feel that, you know, we're on the right path or trajectory? Do you feel like there's an overall shift happening, um, if you will, in front of our our very eyes in terms of success and wealth and just overall opportunities?
1: I mean, I think there's a shift in access, right? Uh, We have so many folks like yourself like me, I think we're at a place where where people can get access very easily. You can learn how to to start an online store. You you can learn how to hustle, right? The hustling that a lot of people are doing on the street, you can learn how to do it on the internet or from anywhere, even from your phone, right? You Mm -hmm. can make money Mm -hmm. literally from your phone. So I think we have a lot of access. I think where the gaps are, is really like when we think about the income and the amount that people are still getting paid, which is what I like to talk to a lot of my clients about, like, why aren't we asking for more, right? As soon as we get the salary, we're mm-hmm. just like, oh, I got a good job. I'm going to take it. But, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of other folks and a lot of other cultures automatically go into negotiation as soon as they get a job. They're not thinking like, I'm just going to take that. They already know the company got a little bit more, right? Mm-hmm. So they always ask for more. So I think we're still behind when it comes to the income levels. Um, we, we still spend a lot of money right on things that might yeah. not actually make money. So I think there's still a lot of education to, done, to be done. But this is a moment of extreme access, which is why I try to talk to all my homies about like it's, it's too easy to get in. You literally yeah. can get into the stocks. You can buy yeah. homes. You can do everything from one device. We've never had mm-hmm. it like this before. So really taking advantage of this time that we're in.
0: Yeah. Now I would say like most people... Are like a 20 minute YouTube video away, i like my right? entire life. And, right? that, and that's not an exaggeration. Like you put in a little bit of discipline and combine that with a little bit of action, and like you can really get active in, in, in today's world.
1: Man, like YouTube University saved my life. That's literally where I started learning about financial liter- literacy. I literally found a video from the Budgetista. I remember mm-hmm. this was like five or six years ago. I watched it, and she was talking about um, really about saving like saving throughout the year cuz I wasn't really a saver I was just like, like I'll get money I spend I'll save a little bit but I yeah. mean what savings for so it really got me to my emergency savings and then I was in a Facebook group with her and that's where I met my first financial advisor and he really taught me about like my credit my first investments, getting my 401k, my RA, just the basics, right? Mm -hmm. Um, To understand how to like build wealth. So I'm so thankful that people do do put out YouTube videos. I always tell folks, they're like, should I buy this course? Should I buy this thing? I'm like, start on YouTube University and actually see what you're interested in. Because if you're more interested and excited, then you'll actually do the course that you're going to buy. But I see a lot of people just buy courses and then, you know, they don't really do it because they're not really interested.
0: Yeah. And I would say too, following off that, like, buying courses to me isn't the only step to take like courses are meant you know for you to take action it's the right. same thing like when you when you go to college like you're paying for something yeah but that doesn't mean that you know you're just automatically gonna get a great job you have to apply the information that you know you you're receiving um, yeah i wish they told me of- that
1: in college i didn't really understand yeah. that when we got out of school i was like i mean i got a degree they're gonna give me a job right and they're like yeah, nah, you gotta what? build your network and you gotta know people and you gotta mm-hmm. apply and you gotta interview yeah yeah the, the whole, whole process, process.
0: yeah and do you think I shouldn't ask this question, but I'm going to. Do you think college is somewhat overrated in terms mm. of, of know what you know now?
1: I think that it's. I think that I would not do it the way I did it before. That's what I'll say. I won't say it's mm. overrated because I think for some people it's a safe haven. It's the only way they're going to get out, right? And it, and it's easy access, but the amount of loans that I that I ended up acquiring and. Yeah. Just the lack of financial literacy I had around that, I do feel a little taken advantage of because when I'm thinking Mm -hmm. about myself then and now I really didn't know, like I had no idea that I wouldn't get out and make $80,000 a year and be able to pay that back right away, right? Like Mm -hmm. the concept of what I'm putting in and what I'm getting out. But for now, I don't think you need it, right? Literally jobs, five, four or five years ago, I used to have to apply to, you needed a master's. Now, all you need is a bachelor's. I mean, even most of these engineering jobs and technology, you can go to a boot camp. So I do believe that it's becoming an obsolete. And it's becoming to a point where depending on what path you want to go down, you might not necessarily need it. Where when I was growing up, I'm, I'm 35 now, put that out there. When I was growing up, it was like everybody said you had to go to college, right? In order to get a job that was going to get you a house and all of this other things. Now, I don't think you you necessarily need it. So Mm -hmm. I think you could do it in a more economical way if you're going to do it, right? Like you don't have to go out and spend $80,000. You don't have to stay on campus. You don't have to do these traditional things that we did before
0: to get the bag. Mm -hmm. Very, very true. You know, a a point that you made, too, when we talk about our kind of um, being african Americans versus our counterparts is like, you know, statistically or just on, on an average basis is when you're offered a certain salary, Right, we might just accept it. I think you mentioned like versus yeah. other people who might negotiate. So, mm-hmm. what do you think can be done, either negotiating tactic or just a mindset shift from like, all right, here's my offer. Should I accept it or should I ask for more? And if I do ask for more, what's the best way to go about that?
1: Yeah, you know what I I remember my very first job in higher education. That's currently where I work um, during my daytime. Um, I always say that's, that's the main girl, you know, and I got a couple <laughs> of side girls, you know, right. so, but right, right. my main boo is actually my wife though. Don't get it twisted. Gotta call wifey in. I, I try you. to, you know, hear this podcast <laughs> out here. Have no problems. No problems. Yeah, I
0: have your phone ring and yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: No, <laughs> but yeah, you know what? I think that, you know, um, I haven't lost track of the question. What was the question again? I'm sorry.
0: Um, Basically, you know, in terms of salary negotiations and talent. Okay, yes, and yes, yes,
1: yes. Okay, so first job in higher education, I wanted to ask for more. Hmm. And I asked for more. And my supervisor told me, I don't think they're going to give you more because of something, something, something. That's a red flag, y'all, right? If you ask your supervisors to advocate for you to get more, and that's a red flag from that job. I had the worst boss there, he was always saying that I didn't have enough and even tried to steal some of my intellectual property. One day I'll Mm. write a book about him, right? Mm. So any boss or manager that really wants to hire you, they ain't in charge of that money. That's not their money. So they're gonna advocate for you and try to get a little bit more. Now you might ask for 200,000 and maybe they offered you 80,000. And that probably is extreme. But they'll probably be more realistic with you than tell you no. They'll probably be like, you know what? We don't really normally pay anyone that much. I can probably ask for 90. Is that okay, Right. But you're willing to have the conversation. And I think that we need to practice that in the beginning of the relationship, because then when performance reviews come around or maybe you have to turn in a portfolio, it's easier to have the conversation and your manager, boss, director already expects it because they know where you're coming from right? They already know, oh, Evolve's going to ask for more. My my supervisor knows it. <laughs> like automatically performance <laughs> review comes around and I'm like, yo, I got my portfolio together. These are things I did in the last couple of years. Can we talk about in advance? So I think it's important to start the conversation earlier and in the first job, because literally your income increases based off of your salary when it comes to employment. So if you start off at 40 or if you start off at 50, that can affect The livelihood of your income and your salary as you move to new positions. So it's important Mm -hmm. to start off
0: asking for more. Do you do you think you ever get nervous asking for more money? Do you think people? I did in the beginning.
1: I did in the beginning. I used to get really nervous, really anxious, like you know, literally not able to sleep the night before those Mm -hmm. type of conversations, but. I think it's just like any muscle, you get more comfortable with it the more that you flex it. Right. And I think that a lot of folks, we need to be more empowered to understand that we have options. Right. I think a lot of us, like we get caught up in this dream, dream job, dream ex- experience, dream moment concept, where it's always another option. The delay is not a denial. Right. That's not just one job, it's probably another job right around the corner. So these are sometimes the ways that we can test employers to make sure that they're going to actually value us right in the beginning of the relationship when they being all nice when they first give you the offer letter like that's the opportunity to really test the climate to see if it's a space where you can ask for more not just more money but more support more flexibility right whatever more means for you that's the time to test the waters but do I get nervous yeah every time still probably but it just makes it easier I think as you build more confidence
0: right do you walk in with any type of leverage, though, as, as anyone, like, do you think that's important as well? Because, you know, the opposite of all this mm-hmm. is if, you know, employer just says no, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, for a reason, they say no. Mm-hmm.
1: And then if you really
0: get too dicey and don't know your situation, you can mess around and, I don't say lose your job, but be in a worse situation because it's like, at the end of the day, if they decide to let you mm-hmm. go, then, then what? So what would you say to someone dealing with no type of leverage at all?
1: Yeah, you know what? I mean, I feel like if you're doing your job, then you should be keeping note of the job you're doing. And that's your leverage, right? Your leverage is what, what value you're bringing to your company. And when you feel like you're not bringing value anymore, like this is why I often tell my homies when a job get easy, like maybe it's time to start looking for something new, right? Because if you don't want to be wasting your time, you don't want to be wasting their time, right? So yeah, they could say no. The likelihood is a little bit lower, especially if you're a valued person at that company, but they could say no. And I think that's the time to really start thinking about that in that relationship. Like, do I need to be there? Um, I've been at a crossroads before in positions where it's like, I'm at the top. They're like, we can't give you anymore. And for me, especially as a person who's trying to retire early, to me, that means that's a time for an exit. And it's X's don't always have to be negative. I think that's a concept that comes comes up to mind for a lot of folks when they have to transition anywhere. We're in a time where we're not like our grandparents and our parents where they stay at jobs for 20, 30 years. Like we literally have to move on, usually to continue to build wealth. So I think like if you go and have a transparent conversation, they can't do it, it's a no, then that's an opportunity for you to look at your skill set and see if you can apply for another job or move on in the departments to maybe another, you know, position that allows you to allocate some of those funds.
0: Right. And it's all, you know, too, about leveling up, you know, mm-hmm. this idea. life exactly. is long. I know, I know people say, you know, life is short, but like, you know, it, it's all, you know, a journey, you know, really. It is. It um, is.
1: And you need to be compensated. People who, watch, who listen to this and watching this, we need to be, we just need to be, we can't continue yeah. to be underpaid. That's just, that's not a good for you. That's not good for morale. And it's definitely not gonna be good for the way you show up for the job.
0: Yeah, yeah, because I mean, you know, people have the opinion of whether or not money is taboo in our community. But I mean, at the end of the day, numbers are numbers. Right. Both, you know,
1: yeah, it, money it, is it, taboo until it, unless it's like a strip club or a movie
0: <laughs> right. videos, then everybody went all of the money, yeah, right? Yeah. Then, <laughs> then the conversation is real, and then you see it. And then, oh man, everyone! I had no idea. We was all okay, cool. Um, but, but even in that, though, right? When we, when we talk about you know community, one, one thing um, that I found you know to be very very dope is that you have you know obviously a platform and podcast of your own. Um, so talk to me too about that
1: yeah you know what actually i got two podcasts right so so my first podcast podcast that i started was boy meets wellness and i started this as a passion project Um, When I say the word boy, B-O-I, that means born obviously incredible. So I started interviewing incredible people around the world, around entrepreneurship, financial literacy, and wellness, because I feel like it has to be a cohesion, right? You got to take care Mm -hmm. of your body. You got to take care of your your money, and you got to take care of the business, right? You got to handle it all. So that was my first baby, and it went really well. We we had like three seasons. We're on a pause right now, but we're actually going to be revamping in the next few months, probably will bring you on there, Because I think that would be a great segment. But I think with any brand, right, like if you're creating a coaching program, a course, you got to have a way to build an audience, right? So within Speaking for Profit, we created a podcast because I was doing so many lives and so many interviews. And I was like, yo, this needs to go to a broader audience of folks who can hear it and can really share the experience of learning how to get paid to speak, but also learning from some of the top experts that I'm able to have conversations with. So I love that space because literally we bring in clients. I bring in folks that come in as experts. I bring in myself with my random talks and thoughts about Mm -hmm. contracts and things that I'm doing within the speaking business. And we really give them like, I would say a bird's eye view. On what it means to be a speaker and what it truly means to speak for profit so mm. it's been a great experience i love podcasting because it's literally so easy like you and mm. I, I are here to have conversations and literally it's taken me across across the globe i mean i've spoken mm. to people in japan australia everywhere mm. and i've never been there but just to have the touch point it's just an amazing opportunity
0: mm. and how do you started speaking
1: how did I get started? You know what? Yeah. This is, oh, how do you start? It? Oh, oh you taking me all the way back. So yeah. as a kid, yeah. and I still have it now, I had a lisp, right? So mm-hmm. for me, I remember I had a speech therapist. This was in elementary school, and that was probably the first time where I had to practice speaking, right? Because it's a different kind. You're practicing different languages, different scripts, different words to kind of get the lisp away, right? Like they want to mm-hmm. Um, dec- decolonize or colonize your tongue the, way, the best mm-hmm. way I can describe it. We're not going to get too political. But for <laughs> me, I started off as a poet and as a freestyling in like middle school and high school. And we had like slam poetry. So I would do those at like talent shows. And I actually got to undergrad. And that's when I understood that not only could I speak, but I also could probably do some trainings, right? Or maybe do some education. And being a Black queer person, at a Methodist college, right, there wasn't a lot of representation. So I found myself fighting for rights for LGBT po- people there, especially myself. I was one of the first people to wear a tux at coordination, and I was fly as ever. But before mm-hmm. then, they wouldn't even let men, I mean, they wouldn't even let women, quote unquote women, wear mm-hmm. men's clothing at those type of events, right? So doing mm-hmm. a lot of pushback there. And I would say the launching of speaking business happened when I moved to the Bay area about six years ago, I got here and I got a job and it was hella expensive. And I was new to my relationship with my, with my current beautiful wife. Um, And literally I went to go buy us a bacon sandwich and we had to split it in half because my paycheck was way too low after paying rent. So I was like, I need a side gig. What am I going to do? Let me try to use this voice. I started reaching out to people, seeing if I could speak at different places And literally, a Black woman in technology, she gave me the tip. I was going in to do a panel for Pride Month. And she was like, yo, come through. I want you to speak. And I charged her $500. And she was like, you need to charge at least $3,000. And I was like, oh, really? And she was like, yes. So I submitted my invoice. And that was the first time I got, like, a high-paid speaking opportunity. So shouts out to that Black woman. She knows who she is. She always tells me, don't say her name. And I appreciate that as well. But (laughs) shouts out to Black folks, right, who put you on game on, like, you really don't know often when you're going to new industries how much you can get paid or how much you can like get paid for your impact. So I've been doing it ever since.
0: And and how long ago was this? This was this about first... five years ago. Yeah. Five years yeah. ago. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Before
1: okay. then I was doing like training and development, but like for gift cards, right? I didn't really understand that it was a skill set where I could actually charge a large amount of money. So I would go and do like, come and do an LGBT training at this event, or come and speak here, come and do a poem here. And I would just get whatever they gave me. I never thought in my head, oh, I should be charging these people. Hmm.
0: So how, how did you find these people? How do you find, you know, these events? Like, did people reach out to you? Or did you you know, have to go today?
1: Yeah, this is a great question. So how do we find our leads, right? This is what we mm-hmm. call our lead management within Speaking for Profit. First, we start within our personal network. Like I told you, going to a historically Black college, also working in you know different networks. I'm, I know people, right? So the first mm-hmm. people I started with were literally people boots on the ground that worked at other universities, maybe people that I went to school with in the past and now work at places I want to speak. And I was like, hey, I got these offerings. Can I come in? Right. So I was doing that and code emailing for a while. And then I was like, yo, this is cool, but it's not really working. So now my powerhouse is actually LinkedIn. I reach out to a lot of people and build relationships on that platform. And it's been super powerful in the way that you can connect with people. And even if what I often tell people, because they're like, oh, I meet people, but they don't want to pay me or they're not the person to pay me. And I'm like, you're building a relationship with them and they're at that company. So once you build that relationship, you can tap into the person who's actually meant to be there to bring in speakers, but you need to nurture it as well, right? Mm -hmm. So LinkedIn has been a great place for what I would call cold traffic, but most of my like warm, hot leads, people that I really know are from referral or personal Mm -hmm. relationships that I've been able to build.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you have a, a preference on the audience that you speak to? Yeah, you know what?
1: This is this is a good question because I'm shifting a lot, you know, as you get older, you, you want to impact different people in different parts of the world. So I think for me, I'm really wanting to speak to younger, not younger like high school, but younger college graduate students who are, are, are African-American, Black, um, who are really trying to figure out what they're going to do next. To inspire them to put the profit first, I think I put a little bit of the dreams first in my life, and I feel like if you can obtain the financial literacy and also obtain the money that you need for your freedom, you can always do the passion projects. Mm-hmm. So I really mm-hmm. want to like um, push young folks to to look at that at that young time. Like I looked at my twenties as like I could just do whatever. Like, actually, no, like, if you take that a little bit more serious, then you could really do whatever in your 30s, and you can be chilling, right? So really Mm -hmm. take advantage of that. And I definitely want to speak to folks who are navigating any type of depression, especially around losing a parent Um, because I lost my mom when I was like 21. And now that I'm in my 30s, I'm starting to see all my peers, right, starting to lose their parents. So really supporting us with some of that, like grief and depression to uplift us and to inspire us to keep living and keep moving on our journeys. Um, Because we will lose our elders, right? Um, But there's a way that they become ancestors that we can really hold space with them still. And I really just want to support folks with not becoming to a demise to depression because I've seen so many folks unfortunately experience that
0: yeah and um, and even in saying that how do you feel that your story can possibly resonate with people that you end up speaking to and with um,
1: yeah you know what being a speaker is so interesting because the things that you think you're saying that are going to really hit people you get all juiced up you're practicing your speech you're having your moment and then they'll come to you and you planted a seed based off mm-hmm. an analogy that you used right mm-hmm. so I think the representation of who I am as a person is very important and I'm a storyteller right mm-hmm. which folks can probably hear here on the podcast so I'm always telling my stories but when it comes to the impact that can of have with folks who are navigating depression I'm navigating it myself mostly right like and I'm constantly empowering and uplifting myself Um, And as a person who lost their mother at a young age, their best friend, I can give a lot of tools on how do you keep the relationship going with your ancestor, but also how do you keep the relationship going with yourself? Because really the inner work is really what brings the joy. I think that so many of us look for external things, whether that's cars or video games or sports, which I still like sports, go Lakers, anyone listening to this? Um, But that's not the things that's going to make you happy. You got to be happy with yourself. And a lot of it is about having conversations with some of those internal demons, right? When you look in the mirror, more than worrying about other people, including social media, right? If I can give a tip to anyone who's navigating sadness, depression, or just, you know, down in the dumps, turn the damn phone off and go outside. Go outside, get some sun, take a nature walk, right? Write down about five things you're grateful for under a tree. And leave that toxic thing at the house. Because a lot of us get caught up in watching other people, right? And that's really what brings us down.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's real. You know, I, I think social media can be of great use, but also harm. You know, a yeah. lot of, a, a lot of uh, what is it, imposter syndrome? Just the idea of, like, you know, run your own race and not really looking, you know, to your left, to your right. And it's hard, right? With, you know, the yeah. same device that can help you make money can also damage your mental health.
1: You know, got to have okay.
0: balance with it.
1: You know, you got to have balance. Don't sleep with it. You know, that's one thing I'm working on. It's like, it's not the first thing. First thing is yeah. me. Let me get up, mm-hmm. get some water, get some movement, get some stretching, right? Pray, do my thing. And then the phone will always be there. Mm-hmm. It'll always be there, literally. And even if it goes out, I can go get a new one. Literally, it'll give me a new one right now. <laughs> right? Yeah, if I just right. put it the water and go take it back, it's, it's insured. Here, we'll, we'll give you another one, right? Yeah. So it will always be there, but you won't. right? So take care of you and value
0: you. Yeah. That's, that's, that's cool. And and dope that you're saying take care of you, but I know a lot of entrepreneurs feel a lot of pressure, right? Mm -hmm. Like, all right, I got to make more money today. I know, you know, I'm straight financially, but I got to get to, it. I got to get to it. Like it's a 24 seven thing. You know, some people have that battery in their back, if you will. And it's, it's hard to turn that off. So what would you say to someone who's constantly feeling the need and pressure to, you know, keep going and just, Bam, 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 (laughs) bam, 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 bam. bam. It just doesn't know how to stop.
1: Yeah, you'll stop. That wall will get you. That burnout wall will catch up (laughs) to you. So you'll stop. You know, all of us are human. So eventually it'll stop you. But what I want to say is chasing money don't make money. And I know you know this, Mm -hmm. right? You know this. Chasing money Mm -hmm. has never made me money. When Mm -hmm. I sit back and I relax, I put in my systems, I do my work, it comes to me. But if Mm -hmm. I sit up there and I try to force it, and just post, 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 do, do, do. It never even comes, right? So we don't just want wealth. We want wealth with ease. That's what I always say. When I'm doing my mantras, I'm not just asking for money. I want money with ease. My ancestors have worked hard enough. Everyone has worked hard enough. I deserve to do this in the easiest and most less complex way as possible. So simplicity and ease also, with your abundance, right? And that's mm. the things that we want to use with our tongue. I, I truly do believe that we have the power to spell ourselves, right? Like we're speaking for prophecy. Whatever we speak in our lives are going to come. So just because you chasing and chasing doesn't mean it's going to come any quicker. We really need to put in more systems, more automation, mm. delegate a little bit more, right? And be okay with maybe taking a little bit less profit, but it coming with ease. Mm. And I think that if you are able to do that, you can calm down a little bit. But for some people, when they first get started, you know, for me, this is like speaking for profit would probably be considered my third business. Um, I had a fraternity, LGBT fraternity back in the day that I was running. I've been doing like swag and T-shirts and everything forever. I've always been a poet, so I've always had books, Mm. right? So I've been on the grind and that money never felt good. And this never did. I always was like sick, had a cold, right? My body wasn't even showing up well. So just letting y'all know if y'all chase it, it's not going to come to you. Guaranteed. Mm -hmm. Not in the same, not with ease,
0: not with ease. What's been the biggest difference you think between those moments and where you're at now?
1: Mm -hmm. The biggest moment is just maturity. You just get older and then you just kind of know what you can do. Literally burning out. Literally, my wife telling me like, nope, you can't do that. Yeah. You can't do that and be with me, right? So I think as you get older, you get more maturity, you have more responsibility, you have an understanding that it's not just about work, right? Um, and li- literally your community. Right. My community has sat me down and said, Evolve, we want to spend more time with you when you're not just working, you're not just on your phone. Mm-hmm. Remember, I was hanging out with my dad in L.A. one summer and he was like, damn, that phone, the phone again, the phone again. Like mm-hmm. he was coming in. We kind of got into it a little bigger, man. And then I went into meditation the next morning. And I was like, he's just asking to have more of my attention you know mm. he's not really saying he don't like my phone he's not understanding that this is not my hustle because that was in my head right like he yeah, understand yeah. i'm grinding i'm out here it's like no he wants to spend more time with you he wants you to be present and when mm. we're doing that we're not present for the people we love and if we grinding, aren't we grinding for the people we love so it's kind of like we're not really doing our due diligence
0: yeah mm-hmm. and that's extremely important that you say that because i think you know you work hard for those people that you're kind of ignoring and that's you know situation not so that you were ignoring but just the idea of like I know. was
1: ignoring him you could say it and I, I love, love you dad I love you dad because yeah. my dad always finds a way to listen to all the things that I make but yes that <laughs> I love you but I was ignoring him right and that's because I was definitely on the grind I was in a different part of my life I think the other thing the difference now is that I have been able to build a little bit more financial literacy and financial comfort. So -hmm. I always tell entrepreneurs, just like our life, we need to build stability in our business. So I have an emergency fund for my business. I have an emergency fund for my personal life, right? I try to invest in things that make money in my business while I'm asleep and the same thing in my personal life, right? So making sure that we're building the same systems that build a foundation that allow us to do things with ease. And mm-hmm. in the beginning, it's not always like that. Sometimes you do got to just, you know, boots to the ground, grind it out and get it to the point where it's stable. But I see so many entrepreneurs get a little cash flow and then they just go spend it. Right. Mm-hmm. You got to add something to the business so that you don't have to be stressed out and you're not always chasing the next client, the next customer, the next next bag.
0: Is that challenging to do, though? You know, like, because, you know, as if you're struggling, because I mean, even your, your story, um, I think it was a, was it a bacon sandwich? Yep.
1: Or, yep
0: it was okay. bacon sandwich. I ate the pork, you I'm sorry. For people yeah, who don't yeah, I, eat the pork. <laughs> I, I, I remember. You know, right? It, it, it was a bacon <laughs> sandwich. But so from a person who, again, just based off your truth, coming from a situation like that and now having a business that's, you know, very, very successful, is that challenging to do, right? Delayed gratification. Again, I think even more detail in the fact that like not everything was working in the mm. beginning. Mm-hmm. So it's not like all right, you know, I got a you know an uh, average job and make a decent salary and then I get you know some real money, then I'm a spurge. Yeah. Like you come from humble beginnings.
1: So yeah. is it is
0: it challenging to even just wait a little while? Oh hell yeah. You... It's challenging. Okay.
1: It's really challenging. And I think you just you learn, right? You fumble and you learn. So I remember when I wanted to buy my 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 wife her engagement ring, right? This was my first test with really with money in my head, like oh shit, I gotta move money to do money. So I stopped buying sneakers and I love sneakers. All my homies know, let's let's listen to this, watching this. I love shoes, like $200 shoes. So I stopped doing that and put that money towards the engagement ring, right? So Mm. I could start saving, right? But then when I bought it back in, I created a money rule. So this is what I do for myself. If I wanna buy a pair of Nikes, buy a pair, gotta buy a share. That's the rule. Mm. So it ends up being like, if I'm gonna buy this liability, I'm automatically going to buy an asset. And that's what I try Mm -hmm. to do with anything. So I want a new laptop, right? I'm calling that in for this year, right? Because I got my work laptop. That's what I work off of. But I'm like, I need my own laptop. I need my Mm -hmm. own things, right? That means that I'm going, if I'm going to spend $2,000, I need to spend $2,000 on shares of Apple as well, right? So, and I've been able to create these money rules in my head. One, yes, to make more wealth, but also, to deal with my trigger around consumerism, right? Because I told you, I grew up in LA, everybody trying to look fly. You go to the Mm -hmm. mailbox, everybody trying to look fly, right? It's just (laughs) kind of like where we at, everybody, what you got, you got the new this, you got the new that. So growing up in consumerism and that being passed down in my family, this is the way I'm trying to heal some of that. So is it easy? No, but what in life is really easy, Mm -hmm. right? So I think that started from humble beginnings, definitely had like some, forks in the road but for me it's all about discipline and all about giving yourself more time right Mm. more time with it learning a little bit more and more at a time and when you make a mistake not shaming yourself right understanding that you live to see another day and you'll be able to do better right a lot of entrepreneurs get caught up in like i messed up i messed up it's all over and it's like it's not all over you just didn't make money today right Right. don't make money tomorrow right and it'll be okay
0: yeah and I mean, there's a couple of notes I want to highlight from the story that, that you just mentioned. Yeah. Um, one is that as a consumer and investor, you can always do both. Yep. Right? I know a lot of people will say and tell you, like, you know, don't buy Nikes or don't buy anything. that you enjoy. <laughs> I promise you, uh, you can do both. Right. Like, yes. there's, there's no law that says now to me, one of those things is a little bit more important than the other. But the idea of like, you don't have to cut off one part of your life just to, you know, you know, in, in, enjoy life. Um, mm-hmm. But also two, remaining disciplined right yep. telling yourself you know what i like these nikes you know what i'm saying i rock one but at the same time i have to make sure that i hold myself accountable because if you don't who will going right to work? exactly and also too to everyone out there and you brought up a very very um dangerous topic i'll say <laughs> and that is you know sacrificing buying sneakers and saving for an engagement ring mm-hmm. so what was your thought process behind that because that's a very that's a as we know that is a very common. Mm-hmm. mindset for, for a lot of people. It's like, all right, you know, should I really, you know, save for, you know, shorty ring, or should I really get active for myself? So what, what was your, <laughs> I'm just saying, that's like a legitimate, you know, thought process that people have, at, you know, mm-hmm. um, in life. So what was your, your thought process um, behind all that? I mean, I think, of course, love, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, love. and And I also knew that they weren't serving me. Like, you know, you see the boxes just piling up. I mean, it's cool, but, it never is going to be that, right? And I think for me, I think in the back of my head, now this is forward, right? This is present day. I think I knew that this would reshape my consumerism, right? Like, I knew, like, if you can let go of this, it's almost like when you're going on a diet, and you got that one last thing that's your favorite, right? Like, you're like, you know what, if I can get these MMs out of my face, then I know I'm gonna be good, because everything right. else is kind of easy for me, right? Like, everything else is like, I'm not attracted to that. I don't need to buy that. So I'm like, if I can actually get this together and get this discipline, then I probably could do anything, Right, mm-hmm. so I knew that it would be challenging, and for me, that's a part of love as well. Like I love a good challenge, so I mm-hmm. really wanted to be able to do that. And I also knew if I didn't do it, the money wasn't gonna come from from my daddy. It wasn't gonna come from nobody else. Like if I wanted to be able to propose and have this ring and the ring that she wanted, I needed to save some money. And I was making extra money, but I also knew that I didn't need to be spending the sneaker money and the ring money. Right? Yeah. I also told myself. That once I bought her the ring, I was gonna go buy the buying back to buying sneakers. and <laughs> of course,
0: you priorities. And of course, it didn't. Did. It didn't happen oh, oh. though,
1: right? Because I got so used to it not, and I I was taking that money to buy the ring, and then remember it was like I think I was taking three hundred dollars, so I would do two hundred dollars there, and then a hundred dollars in stocks. So once I got the ring, I was able to see like, oh. Like, dang, I got saved all this money and this money made money. So I think in my head it was a switch where I was like, dang, I could buy these new J's, but I also could buy the stock. So that's why I came yeah. up with the buy a pair, buy a share, because then I don't feel bad. <laughs> no, no,
0: I, like that. I like that. Buy a share, buy a share. But I would say too though, to your um your laptop example, I think to me, in my opinion, the slight difference between those is that that laptop. Is more of an investment opportunity. It is, Yep. And so I think one thing that I also want to hit home as well is like it's okay to spend money on yourself yep. when it's an investment, right? Like mm-hmm. they always say, you know, the best investment you can make is in yourself. But that really is true. Like yep. the stock market could tank tomorrow. I hope it doesn't. Yep. Real estate it market not. could crash. Right. <laughs> you have a serious problem if it does. But just yep. not. Yeah. But, but like, we
1: got we get to get go on sale. Go on sale. So right. we Get the oh, out. Yeah. You
0: know. Yeah. Of course. Of course. There's always you know <laughs> two sides to look at it. But like. The idea is there are certain things in life that you can't control, no matter what yeah. any guru tells you. Like, nobody knows mm-hmm. what's going to happen tomorrow. But what you pour into yourself, money-wise, education-wise, all that, that stays with you. You know, yeah. so I just wanted to, um, you know, acknowledge that part. Like I said, I, I think it's a pretty po- pretty uh, cool part of your story. Um, yeah. But speaking of story, do you, do you feel that everyone has a story?
1: Everyone has a story. If you're born and you're, you're a human, you got a story. Now, if you're a clone, which I know some of y'all are out there. <laughs> I've been watching the movies. I don't know if you got a story. You probably got somebody else's story, right? You got a story, but everyone has a story because everyone has a life. Everyone has a journey. Everyone has something that they can share that probably could impact the world. They just need to share it with clarity, right? Mm -hmm. And I find that sometimes our stories are filled with other people's expectations, other people's stories of us. So a lot of the work that we do with folks at Speaking for Profit really is is about not only getting clarity with the story you're gonna share with the world, with the story that you're sharing with yourself. And a lot of that's mm. about value, right? That comes down to how much you can charge or who you can go speak to because you don't feel mm. like you're qualified or maybe you feel like you're overqualified, whatever that might be, may be happening.
0: Yeah, and, and you mentioned, you know, obviously, you know, you're speaking for profit community. So could you talk to us too about the, the people that you've helped either get started um, in the public speaking business or just the idea of a, a mindset shift that, um, you know, you may have been a part of in terms of people who have really um, got going with that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we, we started speaking for profit, university actually during the pandemic right so Mm -hmm. i come from a family of my mom was a registered nurse i mentioned that my my grandma was a caretaker i have physicians in my family as well everybody's always telling me you're gonna work in a hospital which is so funny Mm -hmm. to me because i hate blood right y'all i Mm -hmm. cannot do it y'all take me to the movies i'm the one over here like (laughs) oh my partner literally be watching stuff about people like murder she's obsessed with it and i'm like how do we get together because i cannot (laughs) I cannot do any of this, right? It is not for me. So we started during the pandemic and I really started with my friends, with my homies. I was like, yo, I'm getting paid on Zoom. You need to be getting paid on Zoom too. Right? Get this money, get out here and speak.
0: Virtual.
1: Virtual. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I haven't spoken person since 2019. Every my whole mm. business went virtual. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Sure. Right. So I'm, yeah. I'm literally here from you where I'm here to right here is where I make my money. So I got the homies. I was like, yo, let's do this. And one of my friends was like, you should do a course. And then I was like, I don't know how to do a course. so I started looking it up, started trying to figure it out. YouTube University. And then finally, I was like, I'm going to actually do a coaching program. And the reason I decided on a coaching program was because I did courses that I didn't finish. And I really want to make sure that people actually got value and actually mm-hmm. got paid. Right. So some of the top results that we've been able to see from our students and most of our students, I would say social workers, therapists, healers, a lot of diversity, equity, inclusion experts, a lot of influencers and folks. Uh, folks have been able to land speaking engagements usually within two months of working with us. And that's anywhere between 3000 to our top paid client who just got an $80,000 speaking mm. engagement for um, 12 weeks, which is really dope. So she's getting paid a salary, so, yeah. usually a salary yeah. in 12 weeks. And mm. m- financially, that's great, right? Those are financial wins. But the wins that really like make me feel good as a coach are people being able to leave jobs that really weren't mm. serving them people being able to buy property and people Mm -hmm. really being able to invest in their children, uh, which is some Mm -hmm. of the cool stuff that I've been able to see some of my clients do. So shout Mm -hmm. out to all the students at Speaking for Profit University. Thank you so much for continuing to support us because all of our enrollment fees literally go back into the program. So at least three to 5% of each enrollment fee, we're going to be putting into a scholarship fund so that we can start Mm -hmm. welcoming people who might not have the financial capacity Uh, to pay for our university.
0: Yes, that is defining your legacy right there. That is defining your legacy. Definitely, definitely appreciate that. And just the idea of, you know, education being passed on. Um, Mm -hmm. But so I can only imagine, right, the the very first check you got from your speaking engagement, I'm sure it felt great, regardless of the number, right? The fact, anything higher than zero is money. Yeah. Um, But what does it mean to you now to know that you're helping people to do the same?
1: Mm, It's way more powerful now right? Like, I mean, I love still going to speak, but it just means so much that I'm changing people's lives, but also that they're able to see themselves in just such a bigger light on how they can impact the world. Uh, It's way bigger than I thought it was going to be. Literally, like, I started with the homies and I was like, yo, I'm Mm -hmm. just going to do this thing. And now that we've really been able to, like, I've been able to meet people that I didn't know, Does that make sense? Like they're not in my network. Um, I have a client working with right now in Ontario, Canada, and she is like really passionate about building black wealth and having conversation with affluent black families and how to filter that down. I'm actually going to send her to you because she would be a great person on this podcast, but just being able to be connected. I love being the connector to be able to be like, yo, you'll be great for this and you should meet this person and seeing people just grow and build wealth, but also be able to change their family's lives. Like, it's just so powerful, man. Like Mm -hmm. when I secure a bag, I'm happy, but when my clients secure a bag, I'm just like, yo, like, because you could see the change, right? You could instantly see the change out of the client. She was, a, she was a clinical psychologist and she was charging $400 to go and speak in these places. And I was like, girl, you got to go up in price. Mm-hmm. Now she charged $4,000 and she'd be mad at me. Mm-hmm. Like, Bob, they want to pay me 2,000, right? Like she's so sassy mm-hmm. about right. it. Right? But just to see her mindset shift and for her to know that she has that much value, like I, I told mm-hmm. her she can be a powerhouse anywhere now, whether she has to go back to be an employee or not. That concept of knowing her worth is going to take her so far.
0: Growth, growth, right there, and, and shout out growth. to her and this idea of, you know, you know your price. After a while, like sometimes, you know, it might take time, but
1: yeah, get
0: to it, get to yep. it, and yep. know your price. Uh, yeah, that 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 is a, um, extremely major. So you mentioned the idea of you know people leaving, leaving their jobs and things like that, but so would you say that this is something that you know people can do in addition to having a nine to five?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, like I tell folks all the time, I still have my nine to five, right? And people are like, when are you going to let her go? When y'all going to break up? I'm like, I'm keeping her around because I'm trying to be financially free. So I'm all about multiple streams of income in my life. For some people, that's not their thing. They just kind of want to just like just do speaking. And that's totally yeah. cool as well. And that's what I love about it. You can kind of decide how you want to do it. So for me right now, it's like one to two speaking engagements a month. I have my nine to five. And then I'm doing some coaching and I'm also an artist, right? So I want to get back out and start writing some poems. I'm looking over here because I got a keyboard that my mm. wife bought me. I want to learn the piano. I want to learn to play yeah. trap music and Christmas music. That's it, y'all. Don't hit That's me up. That's a no. wild combination. <laughs> but,
0: uh, <all> right. <laughs>
1: I got this That's... idea of like playing Christmas music for my kids when I have them, right? Like and be able to be around and playing that. And then I just love trap music. So right. uh, <laughs> it's one of the things and I want to be able to Carrie do. But I don't want everything I do to be connected to capitalism and making money, right? Like, I'm, I think I'm really passionate about building the sides of things that can make money and can and be wealth and do that thing, and having the most time in the world to be able to have a good time, hang with my homies, create art, and do the things that I want to do. So, you know, that's yes, where I'm
0: at. For sure. I hear that. I hear that. Um, and what would you say to kind of, you know, to someone who might be, who might hear this and think, man, may, maybe maybe public speaking is something that I'm interested in. And whether it be virtually, let, you know, let me just leave it at virtual because I know we're still in, in COVID time, but it's mm-hmm. virtually, what would you say to someone like that? Like, What is you know, the, the thing that you would encourage?
1: Mm, I think the thing that I would encourage is to figure out what you want to speak about that's going to impact the world and also figure out what problem you're solving. I, I speak to so many folks who want to speak but they don't think it's a business, right? Like they really think like, I could just speak about what I'm passionate about and the passion is important, but you're a problem solver, right? And you want to continue to add value. So I think really sitting with that and the best way to get started, if y'all want to get started, right? is to start speaking. So go live, share some information with your friends, speak in front of people that you're actually comfortable in front of and see how that sits in your body. Because a lot of the work that we do with folks in our beginners program is like moving past that fear, the fear of actually hearing your voice out into the world. So do some speaking, right? And we Mm -hmm. got an easy thing because we got this phone. We got so many things that we can connect with.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's a, 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 you know, the way the powerful... You know, stuff that social media can provide is crazy. Um, but one, of, you know, one of the last questions that I want to ask you, you know, you talk about um, providing value and obviously, you know, you have, um, you know, your own community that you've kind of, you know, you definitely made waves ways with, uh, which is definitely something I respect, right? Um, but the last question I have for you, and it's a question that I ask everyone that's come on Define Legacy is, um, mm-hmm. how do you want to be remembered?
1: Mm, I want to be remembered as a person who served their community love their family, made some money, put on some jamming parties and cook the best lasagna you ever had in your life. Okay. (laughs) In in, in, in
0: that order? (laughs) In that order. Yeah, man. You know what? I was thinking about that recently
1: because my mom passed this lasagna recipe Mm -hmm. down to me and I make it for my partner. And I was like, man, I think I got something here. I think I'm leaving this here on the planet and people don't really dig it. But Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I just want to be left here like people remembering me serving the world um, with my voice, right? With my impact. And that's what I love about podcasting, right? We have the ability to be here even when we're not here. And this is a part of our legacy.
0: Thanks. Very, very true. And so if you could, um, you know, just drop your social... Slash, you know, where can people find you? Drop the website, drop the Facebook group, drop the Instagram, drop the course yes. info. Get active Definitely. with all the promo that you will love.
1: Definitely. Yeah, folks, hit me up at Evolve Benton everywhere. That's E-V-O-L-V-E as in the word evolve or evolution, Benton, B-E-N-T-O-N. And if you want to text me, you can actually text me. The number is 323-405-9492. Text me the word speak, and I'm going to send you over a free training that you could check out. If you're interested in public speaking to get started, just text the word speak to 323-405-9492.
0: Got you, got you, got you um i don't know if you mentioned uh your your uh your coaching program or just just yeah yeah if you text the word speak you'll get that information but you can also
1: check us out at speakingforprofit.com. and that's the number four so you want to do speaking the number four profit.com
0: got you got you got you appreciate that and um are there are there any final words that you want to leave the audience with today
1: i think the final words that i want to leave the audience with is a delay is not a denial and your wealth is right around the corner
0: Yes. You know, I always ask that question, but like usually it hit, it hits me more than you know. You know, it just that that's some some serious serious stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So <laughs> I'm yeah.
1: sending that to you particularly. Yeah, yeah, say, yeah, 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 there, yeah. It's not there.
0: Facts, facts, facts. Um, but yeah, y'all, on the defining Lexi front again. You know, subscribe to the YouTube channel, um, Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TikTok, everywhere. All right, again, check out the link um, in the episode's description for the online store and everything like that. Of all, thank you again for being on the show. All right, and just like that, y'all, we gone. Peace.